Hey there and welcome. I'm your host, Bonnie Gallum, and today I want to chat with you about an unconventional asset protection risk. Normally, when we think about asset protection risks, we're thinking about like lawsuits and slip and falls or contractor disputes, partnership fights, you know, all the things that I'm normally talking about here on the podcast. And so if that's what you think of, I wouldn't blame you. (laughs) That's often where, you know, as an attorney, my mind immediately goes when I think about risk. However, I was talking with another investor the other day, and I I was sharing with him that there's this one risk factor that I've seen and more well-intentioned landlord dreams than anything else. And you know, you've seen the title of this podcast episode, you know what I'm going to say here, and that's staying small. It's having a small portfolio. And if you're thinking like, okay, Bonnie, what are we talking about here? What constitutes a small portfolio? I'll say rough estimate here because, you know, some markets and some, you know, people's, you know, personal situations may differ. But generally speaking, where I'm seeing, you know, things really change with investors from, you know, being in this like small kind of struggling stage to like next level, not even in like advanced, but just like kind of push through the beginner stages of being a landlord is when you're like netting about $10,000 a month. And the reason why I bring up the $10,000 is because that usually is where like we're changing your life. (laughs) And I don't mean that in like an Oprah Winfrey kind of woo-woo way, but like in a really substantial practical way that, you know, maybe was your why when you first set out to start investing in real estate, right? Like, Maybe you want to quit your job or your spouse wants to leave their job or someone wants to go part-time. Like There's a very concrete financial um, end game to the reason why you're in real estate. And you know maybe that's one or two people changing their jobs. Or that level of rental income is also you know a situation where you know the little dips and you know highs and lows that come from being a real estate investor aren't going to send you like into your personal bank account anymore. You know, we don't want to be doing that to close the gaps. Um, But it's also one where just like it's worth the effort, you know, (laughs) because passive income is a load of nonsense to anyone who has spent more than five minutes as an actual landlord. And we invest in real estate because you know that there's tax benefits and there's long-term wealth opportunities that come from it. But perhaps, and I think most importantly and most attractively, because there's frankly a million ways to make money, is the lifestyle benefits that can come from rental income, you know, where you're leaving your job or you're living abroad or you're doing like any of the other, you know, cool things that these Instagram investors are doing, you know, particularly like the single childless ones. Um who aren't like bound to a school district or something like that. I feel like I'm becoming an old person, but what can I say? There's a million reasons, you know, lifestyle reasons why people want to have rental income. But the reality is, is that those lifestyle benefits don't really exist when you just have a small portfolio, right? And no one's buying rental properties because they're looking to add a part-time job, but that's very much what this often turns into. And so, in this episode, what we're gonna you know talk about is this phase of landlording life where you're in that like under 10k a month stage and like why it's so risky. We'll also talk a bit about the undiscussed and perhaps unexpected economics of why small landlords sell. But even if you don't have you know plans to sell or you've never you know once crossed your mind yet, <laughs> I will say that because it has crossed every landlord's mind that I know. 
But we'll just talk about why it's unsustainable, like why you shouldn't kind of become placated and say like, okay, this is just where we're at. This is good enough. And so let's start off with, you know, the Mac Daddy question of like, why is this so risky? And the parallel I see that like no one really ever talks about is like having like two properties or two doors and or even like a handful more than that. You can have a dozen properties. It's like having 12 individual stocks or two individual stocks. Like you're really kind of, (laughs) everything's got to go right because it's, you know, one non-paying tenant or one unplanned CapEx repair or even like one property tax hike can put a squeeze on or even completely wipe out like your whole profits for the year, sometimes even multiple years. I mean, I've had investors come to me who are selling off because they're like, I had a tenant who completely screwed up, you know, a sewer line and or even if it wasn't the tenant, I feel like sewer lines do so. <laughs> Maybe that's the number two. Staying small is risky. And then number two is sewer lines. But replacing these things, you know, he's like, that was my profits that I was going to make for like the next two years. And so having that get wiped away and just kind of looking at the equity that sits in your property can get like really, really tempting. Now, look, if all you care about is appreciation, then maybe you can eat that. You know, maybe the cash flow is not so important, but I feel like for like 90 plus percent of the investors I know, which is basically everyone who's just not, you know, trying to diversify and have, you know, say that they've got money in real estate and that they're just parking their cash there. We're, we're in it for cash now, right? Um, I feel like that JG Wentworth, I don't know if that's like an, uh, a national commercial <laughs> where, uh, you know, you have a structured settlement, but you need cash now. Like, that's how I feel with my rentals. Like, I, I don't want to cash out and, you know, go to JG Wentworth, but I need the cash now. Like, I'm not in this for a play where 50 years from now, I'm going to sell off the properties and be like, look, I have millions of dollars in cash, but I had nothing for the last 50 years. That's not what I'm talking about. We want the cash today, not someday. And I think this is the part that's kind of glossed over, right? Because you're in this honeymoon phase of being a landlord when you first get started. Like, everything's novel, it's exciting, and like money, like any money. You're like, this is great. It's like when you, you know, if you have anyone's ever started a business, like when you get that first like paying client or customer and you're like, yes, I can make money. And so like when you place that first tenant and the mortgage gets paid by someone other than you, you're like, dang, that feels good. (laughs) And so it's so crushing to me, like when these bad financial like situations happen to landlords. I mean, literally just last week I had a client at my firm reach out to me because he got an offer to sell his one rental property and he's just going to do it. He's like, I'm just going to step out of the game. It was a property he used to live in and then he moved to a different house. And so he kept basically his old house as a rental. And, you know, when I first met this guy, like several years ago, he had some really big dreams. Like he wanted to leave his job and start his own company and work part-time from anywhere in the world. And he was just over it. And, you know, he, you know, made some decent money and was able to store up some cash. And his mindset at that point, after, you know, dealing with the hassle of having the job, having the tenants, dealing with, you know, everything that comes with being a landlord, because whether you've got like one property or you've got a hundred properties, like you're still dealing with like bookkeeping and you're still dealing with like all the registrations and the taxes and everything that comes with just like having a business, whether it's a business that makes you $1,000 a year or $100,000 a year. And so, you know, he was kind of at the point where he's like, I can either, you know, use this money to do a down payment for another rental property, or I'm just going to use that as like my emergency fund cushion, you know, start the job that I wanted to, uh, or the business I wanted to. 
and just kind of get on with my life because he didn't see the value, um, particularly from a time perspective, to start you know, buying more properties. It just, it seemed like it the trade-off wasn't really worth it. And look, I've been on the buying side as a landlord um, for, and bought, you know, properties from, you know, these retiring, stepping out landlords who were in the position, guys, that we were in when we first got started, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, wanting to have real estate. And all those people have ended up selling for, you know, whether because they have not planned for succession planning, that they just want to retire. And so all of this kind of stuff just kind of fizzles out, whether it's early on, like what's happened to my client, or sometimes it's, you know, older investors who are just over it, which is really sad because I don't think that that needs to happen at all. And, you know, in addition to buying from, I'll just call them like burnt out landlords, I've represented buyers and sellers of investment properties countless times. I don't know, I've talked to dozens, hundreds of landlords who were offloading their properties. And of course, you know, I asked them why, like what what's going on here? Why are we selling the property? And the small landlords always say a variation of the same thing, right? It just, it just wasn't worth it anymore. Wasn't worth the time, wasn't worth the aggravation, wasn't worth the loss of money, wasn't worth the headache. And like for them, it's like for what? Like a net thousand dollars a month, net two thousand dollars a month, three like that type of revenue, it wasn't changing their life. It wasn't changing their lifestyle. Yeah, it was some extra cash, but they calculated it wasn't worth it, especially when they could cash out, leave the tenants behind, leave the calls behind, the repairs, and just throw the money in the stock market or something. And it could make sense, you know, even like you can do the bigger pockets calculator till the cow comes home. Look, the ROI could be good on paper, but it isn't worth the sweat and practicality. And that's often what happens with these small landlords. You know, the property could tell you, you know, on the bigger pockets calculator that it brings in 350 a door. And that 350 a door is maybe going to take you an average of 10 hours a month of your time between bookkeeping and the rehab and the finances and paying taxes. And, you know, that may not be. 10 hours a month every single month, but it probably is more than that, especially in the first few years of owning a particular property when you're kind of getting it up and running. And especially as newer investors where that process is still, it's still clunky, you know? And so when you start doing that kind of math, sometimes things look different where it's like, well, I'm going to pay $35 an hour to do this type of work. <laughs> uh, when you take that 350 a door and you start dividing it by your time, then you know things start looking a little bit different. The math starts looking a little bit different. And what I've seen is that it's this time economics of real estate investing that tends to get you know harder for new landlords before it gets easier. And what I mean to say is that like you can manage 50 doors and I'd say like close to pretty much the same amount of time you can manage 25 doors. But managing three doors and then four doors and then maybe eight doors, that usually gets incrementally harder because you're still kind of building the house while you're flying it, you know? And I, I think this is for a few reasons. For one, you just, you haven't reached cost efficiencies through economies of scale. That was a whole bunch of like undergrad business class lingo. <laughs> but what I mean to say is like, you're not big enough that you're getting a price cut. Like you're not keeping your contractors busy enough that they're prioritizing you or giving you discounts. You don't order enough materials and you know, don't take this personally, but you're just not valuable enough to like CPAs or lawyers or even realtors where they're seriously like prioritizing you. They're giving you, you know, some level of bulk discount, you know, one LLC to do every year for your taxes might cost, you know, 
$750 or $1,000. But if you've got 10 of those, I'm willing to bet your CPA is going to give you a discount. They're not charging you that markup. And so at some point you start as you start growing, you can get efficiencies on things that you're paying for anyway. It's almost like you're paying a premium for them now while you're still small. And also, you know, add on top of that, like the rental revenue just isn't enough to let you or your spouse to step back from their jobs, either fully or partially. And so you've got like the max on your plate. You are maxed out. You're juggling like the rentals and everything that comes with it, the full force of your job. And of course, the full force of like everything else that's going on in your life, because you're not just like a landlord and a, you know, have a W-2 job. Like you've got friends, you've got family, you've got hobbies, you've got a community, like all these things have to fit into the same 24 hours of a day. And when you start adding rental properties, that starts getting crunched and crunched and crunched. And so like staying afloat can feel like that's just the priority, just like staying on top of where things are in the moment and getting ahead can feel feel laughable, you know? And the thought of scaling and adding more to your plate, because that's sometimes what scaling seems like. It doesn't sound like something that's going to make your life easier. It sounds like it's gonna, <laughs> if where you are is hard now, then how could adding more make it easier? But I can tell you that it is, but you've got to scale through the part where you're at right now. But in between, when you're at that max out phase, when you are the small landlord, when you've still got, you know, everyone's still got their jobs, everything is still you know, on your plate and in the air, then it often leads to burnout. And that is where also a lot of landlords decide to sell off as well. Because again, that cash, that equity that is just sitting in your property starts looking real tempting. And all the things that, you know, you kind of had as a fire underneath of you when you first got started, like it loses its shininess. Um, being a landlord can lose its appeal real quick. Like, and I don't know, you know, how far in exactly it was for us where we're just like, oh, this isn't all cash flow and appreciation. <laughs> um, maybe it's your first eviction, maybe it's your first trashed, you know, unit on a turnover. Maybe it's, you know, the first time you've had a contractor, you know, screw up a rehab, like all those things. It's just like, my God, like this doesn't happen <laughs> in the stock market. And granted, you don't have a lot of control there. And so finding the ability to create control um, to minimize this type of risk, particularly when you're a small landlord, because it becomes that much more important. Every single dollar counts that much more. And I get it because I've been there. We've spent years in that small landlord phase. And I've, you know, I've been through the growing pains and the parts where it felt like, you know, we're building, like I said, we're building the plane as we're flying in. And it didn't feel great. Like it doesn't feel great to not have control over your time, over your money, uh, over your investment, and to like be kind of always like just reacting to things and never getting ahead of it. And I mean, it, for me, particularly as like a type A type of person, like that was extremely difficult to uh, kind of wrap my head around the fact that like it was that um, kind of out of, it felt completely out of control. Like that's, and it, it wouldn't surprise you, you know, to know that that is when our lawsuits happened was during this phase of, growth. We were treating our portfolio like this hobby because that's frankly like all the time that we had for it. Like it didn't feel like a job because we had jobs. Like this, was, <laughs> this wasn't it. We had nine to fives. We had W-2s. We had like things that were, you know, on our LinkedIn profiles. And 
it was still kind of only bringing in hobby money. Like it wasn't enough that like any of us were going to quit our jobs over it, like <laughs> not even close. And so we were not treating it like the business we won, we wanted it to be, right? Like we had the vision that this was going to be something that was our primary income generator. But in actuality, even though it felt small and it, like in our heads, it wasn't a big deal, like it was a business and it came with real business like responsibilities, but also, you know, uh, it needed to have the structure of a business that we just weren't giving to it at the time. And look, while I I believe strongly in bootstrapping and working hard, I, I also don't think there's any pride in being a martyr and trying to figure out things the hard way. Um, and so if you're looking for a guided path and support to scale through the small landlord phase, then I invite you to join me inside of my brand new program, Landlord Scale School. It's a six-month accelerator program for landlords scaling to those $10,000 uh, rental income months. Scale School is a combination of on-demand trainings to go over things like how to optimize your rentals, how to start automating and systematizing your business, how to audit and like actually keep track of like business metrics <laughs> so you know exactly where you are, where you need to be, and like what that means from like a time and financial planning perspective. It also includes a lot of live workshops, live trainings from me, and we'll go through things like hot topics this month in scale school we're going over have there's opportunities to be found in president biden's new housing plan and so knowing where the federal money is going knowing how to be a part of those opportunities as part of your scale plan is what we're doing in april next month we're talking about chat gtp and ai and how to leverage those brand new tech tools in your business as a landlord. And so if you're interested, head on over to my website, bonniegallum.com, or to use the link in the show notes. And so in conclusion, guys, I, I really just want you to know that staying small is risky because it is the biggest risk factor I find to getting you off the track and out of the real estate game when you had the greatest intentions of making it the full, you know, going the full Monty, uh, creating the generational wealth, having this be, you know, uh, income for your lifetime, for your retirement, maybe for your kid's lifetime, and having all of the maximum benefit that you can get from it is, is just kind of lost. And I, I find that so frustrating because I think it's so preventable. Um, and so we're going to be talking about this a little bit on the podcast about ways that we can leverage uh, legal and leverage technology and leverage uh, team members and leverage, you know, financing and all of that stuff to be able to get through this hard part of being a small landlord. Because at the end of the day, you know, I was talking with someone um, about, you know, my new program and they were like, how does it relate back to Landlord Law School? And I'm like, it takes Landlord Law School to the next level because the goal always through legal, and I don't know that it was always, you know, blatantly, you know, obvious of, you know, the method to my madness, but the whole point of creating a solid legal foundation was so that you could scale, not so that you could, you know, just prevent lawsuits. Like, of course, like, you know, LLCs and insurance and having good contracts, like that is that baseline and that doesn't change anything. But like, what is the next step? And so the next step is to be able to, you know, use that and be able to wash, rinse, repeat and, you know, actually implement and 
scale <laughs> and streamline on a secure foundation. And so if all that sounds interesting to you, then make sure you're subscribed because we're going to be chatting a lot, a lot about how to kind of combine the two, combine the operations with the practicalities and the realities of scaling a portfolio to one that meaningfully changes your life, but also is going to stick around for the long haul. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. I'll see you here same time, same place next week.